Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. We're going to start by reading in verse 37 of John chapter 12, and we're just going to finish out the chapter this morning. We'll read, we'll pray, and then we'll get into our Bible study. So let's start in John chapter 12, verse 37, starting there. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has, deli- who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so that they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is, is just what the Father has told me to say. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the blessing, Lord God, of just knowing you personally, of, of having access to your throne. Lord, we thank you for the time of worship, Lord, in particular that last song, The Stand, Lord. We confess out and we sing out with our tongues and our mouths and our hearts, Lord. We will stand for you, Lord God. And I know nothing pleases you more than a young group of believers who stand for you, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that we would remain that way, that our hearts would remain steadfast before you. Lord, we pray that you would bless this teaching time as we dig into your word. We pray that you would use this time for your purposes in our life, Lord. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just be poured out over this room, that we would learn from you, that you would uh, highlight things in our own lives that we need to see this morning, that you would not let us leave this time of Bible study without personally showing yourself to us at some measure, Lord. And so we ask for that, Lord. And we eagerly look forward to your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, to connect us with what we're going to learn this week, Jesus makes some pretty bold statements as he, uh, as he is, is speaking to the, uh, the, the, the people that had come to visit him. Some Greeks had come to visit Greek. Uh, visit Greek. Some Greeks had come to visit Jesus. And when they came to him... The Greek, people, Greek guys speak to one of the Pharisees, or to the, to the disciples, to Philip. And Philip goes and he uh, connects with Andrew. And Philip and Andrew in turn go to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, listen, he doesn't even address the Greeks. He, what he does, he says, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified has come. 
And we talked about how Jesus was boldly making a, a statement that now is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of the end. But in other places in the Bible, in, in the New Testament, in, in the Gospels, before Jesus is saying the hour has not come. The hour has not come. And he was re- referencing his time that he's going to give his life for you and for me. And now he boldly says, the hour has come. So we have this moment where Jesus is confessing to the guys, to the disciples, that this is the beginning of the end. Now, he wasn't one to hide uh, what God's plan was for his life in any way. In fact, other places in Scripture, he talks about how he's going to give his life. He's going to lay down his life. In Mark chapter 10, he's, when they're talking about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus says, listen, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus confessed that he was going to lay down his life. He was going to do this great work of God for you and for me. Now, I talked about this last week. The idea of Jesus giving his life on the cross, many times in our minds, because he's God, we sort of remove the, uh, the humanity aspect of it from it. In other words, we think, well, yeah, you know, Jesus, he walked on water and he controlled the weather and he cast demons out of people and he raised the dead and he healed the sick and did all these miraculous, incredible things. And so when they nailed him to the cross, he probably just didn't feel it like you and I would feel it. No, no, no. Listen. The reality is that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. And so when they nailed him to that cross, it was a physical pain that was just as real as what you or I would feel. He was fully man as much as he was fully God. The, fa- the pain that he experienced was very real. Very real. And so we need to keep that in mind as we look at what's happening here. In fact, last week in verse 27, Jesus confessed that his heart was troubled. At the thought of the hour coming, he's, his heart was troubled. And if you fast forward a little bit, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he's actually arrested and put on trial before he goes to the cross, he actually prays to the Father, if there's another way, Father, let this cup be taken from me. If there's another way, Lord, of you redeeming your creation, if there's another way than me having to go to the cross. Because the reality was, it wasn't going to be fun. It wasn't something that he was looking forward to in the sense that it wasn't gonna, he wasn't going to experience any pain. It was just going to be another job for him to do for God the Father. That was not the case. He sees that everything is boiling down to that moment when he goes to the cross, which was his purpose for coming, his first coming, was to redeem us, to save us from our sins. And so he, in, he goes on from there into where we are this week, where he talks about how uh, Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, but they still... We're not willing to believe there was a segment of the population that was watching Jesus in his ministry for three years and they were watching from afar, but they were not believing. They would see him raise the dead. They would see him, see him feed 5,000 people. They would hear the stories of him walking on water, but they still wouldn't believe it. And John uses some scriptures out of Isaiah, the Old Testament, to talk about the condition of these people. Look, at, look with me there for a minute in verse 38. He says, this was to f- fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then it says on further in verse 40, it says, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Now, Isaiah, when he prophesied these, he was speaking of those that would not believe in the gospel, those that would not believe the message that God was going to bring the Redeemer at that time, the, the Messiah, to rescue Israel and to rescue all of mankind. 
and he talks in there about how he had blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts. And when you read that, you think to yourself, well, why would God blind someone's eyes and harden their hearts? I mean, doesn't he want all to be saved? Doesn't he want everyone to know him personally and experience him? And the answer to that is yes, on both accounts. Yes, he does want everyone to know him. He wants everyone to personally be saved by him, by his work, and to, to, have, to receive the, the gift of salvation by faith. He wants everyone to have that. But what happens is eventually in a person's life, and it's hard to pinpoint when this happens or exactly how it happens, but God eventually gives you what you want. Those that want the Lord, those that want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, he will give you that as, a, as you want it. But those that reject it, that don't want it, eventually they will be given what they want. And the result of, of one is that you're going to have a, a new heart, a heart that's pliable, soft, and it's a new creation. The other is a hardened heart that rejects the truth of God. One is, a, is eyes that can see spiritually divine things from the Lord that are, that are eternal from his word. And the other is that you have a blind eye to see. You can't see. You can't understand. Your heart is hardened. This actually happened in the Old Testament. Remember in the book of Exodus when Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. We want to go and worship in the desert. They want to be set free. And, and the Pharaoh says, no, I will not let your people go. And the result is, is that Moses, by direction of God, says he does these incredible plagues that he puts on the nation of e- Egypt. You know, he sends frogs and he turns the Nile into blood and he sends gnats and livestock are killed and incredible things. His staff turns into a snake. He does all of these displays of God's authority and power to try and get Pharaoh to change his mind from holding back and letting the people go. Instead, it says in Exodus that Pharaoh hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He took it upon himself to go against the very thing that God was trying to get him to do. The end result is that Pharaoh actually dies because when he finally lets them go, because the last plague that God sends on Egypt is the plague of the firstborn, the Passover, which is right in this portion of scripture where we are with Jesus. They're celebrating the Passover feast. The angel of death goes over the entire nation of Egypt and it takes the firstborn of every household that doesn't have the the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And so then Pharaoh wakens up the next day to see all these people crying out their firstborns are dead and he says fine go go you're a plague on me and he sends him out into the desert but then he suddenly loses changes his mind and he pursues after him and the israelites get up to the to the uh, red sea and god miraculously parts the red sea using moses and they cross over on dry land and as they cross over pharaoh and his army and their chariots pursue after them but the lord closes up the red sea and drowns them all His hardened heart leads to him dying. It's an incredible thing. Eventually, the Lord gives you what you desire. It's an incredible thing when you think about it. So it's not as though God blinds their eyes or God hardens their heart. It's actually the fruit of the belief or the the rejection or the receiving of what that person is and where they are. And John uses that verse to describe those that were seen and not believing those that were perceiving in their hearts but not receiving it with joy, not, not believing it with full faith. He said there were those people that were hating. Those were the very ones that were pursuing after Jesus to take his life. 
And then if you move on a little bit further, it says in verse 41 that Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke about him. And I love this. If you guys, we went through the book of Isaiah just a few months ago. I don't know if you remember. But in the very first chapter of Isaiah, he has this vision in the temple and he sees the Lord. It says, I see the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. And he saw this incredible vision of God. And Jesus here, or John here is telling us that he saw Jesus' glory. The vision that Isaiah saw in the Old Testament in the temple was God, Jesus. It was him, high and lifted up, looking very different than he looks here, doesn't he? You think about him in his glorified condition, he, the angels standing around him. You see uh, the, trobe, the, the ro- trail of his robe filling the entire temple and just the glory and majesty that he possesses and, and that he expels from his body as he's sitting there in glory. And Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He can't even stand up at the sight of him. And now you have Jesus here and all of his glory is veiled behind flesh. He becomes a man. He leaves his place of heaven and comes to earth to dwell with us to do what no other human could do to give his life for us. And it says in verse 42 that there was another group of people because you have first those that don't believe and then in verse 42 you see that there's another group of people. It says, yet at the same time, even among the leaders, even among the leaders believed in him, but of the Pharisees they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. So there were these group of people that were seeing Jesus. They were seeing the things that he was doing. They were understanding. They actually believed it, but they would not put feet to their faith. They were actually holding back because they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. They're afraid of being rejected. Remember this happened earlier when Jesus heals the, the uh, guy that was blind? Remember, and the, the disciples look at Jesus and they go, hey, why is this guy blind? Was it his parents that sinned or was it something he did? And Jesus said, neither. This happened for the glory of God. And he spits in some mud, remember, and he rubs it in his eyes. And then the guy's like, I can see. You know, he goes and washes off and he says, I can see. And then all of a sudden, the, his parents are like, you know, what happened? And, and the Pharisees go and they say, you need to get out of here, out of the synagogue. You're following that man, Jesus. And they kick him out. And the, and the parents are like, no, we're not with him. That's, he does his own thing. He's old enough to make his own decisions. He's a follower of Jesus, not us. You know? And so they are afraid of being persecuted for following Jesus. And you see the same thing happening right here. There were those that believed that Jesus was doing what he was doing, but they were afraid of man. In fact, it says the reason why, if you read just a little bit further there in verse 43, it says, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. These people were experiencing Jesus. But rather than living out for it with abandon and joy, they were holding it back because of what other people thought of it. Now listen, you and I aren't in the same situation as these guys were. The, the Pharisees were hardened men. They, they really liked to control. And this was the religious establishment of that day and age. And we don't have that here now. Christianity is established now. We can meet here in freedom and we can sing songs and we can talk about Jesus freely in here, right, for now. And, and so it's a good thing. But there is another form of falling to praise from men that you and I can have a snare in our life in this day and age if we're not careful. It's different than what they had, but yet it's still the same. Listen, when I was in 6th and 7th and 8th grade, which was, you know, just a few years ago, right? 
it was a great time in my life. I actually really enjoyed my middle school years. I loved it. Um, that I was sharing in the last service that I had a, a great, I made my best friend, uh, first best friend there. His name was Brian Hughes, great guy. And we were best friends up until 10th grade when he moved away. And, um, and we, re- we learned how to, uh, that's when I first got into sports, wrestling. And I started skateboarding and I experienced that. And, and uh, I have this twin sister and we were both really well liked. And so we had lots of friends and it was just a great time. For me, it was not pressure. Like, uh, school was easy for me then. It wasn't as hard as it got in high school and the pressures and all that. So for me, I didn't have a lot of the experiences that a lot of you guys have. There were a few things though. For instance, when it came to fashion. Now, I know you guys like to, everyone in here likes to be fashionable. We, we love the new fashions and everything. And, and of late, the past year or so, there's been this new trend where um, you guys are like uh, popping your collars, right? You, you throw on the polo and then you pop the collar, right? Yeah, that, that was happening. I started that, just so you know. We started that. That happened when I was in middle school. We started that. No one was popping their collars till we did it, Okay. There was another thing, members-only jackets. You guys remember members-only jackets? You guys know them? You don't, Google it if you don't know. It was this cool jacket. It had these like, little um, like button snap things, like, like a flap that was over here and had pocket on the front and pockets on the inside. They were usually gray. Most people like the gray ones. And um, they were this jacket in the 80s, made famous by uh, you know, people from the movie The Breakfast Club. You know? and, then, and then Converse All-Stars, Chuck Taylors. Yeah, yeah. I always loved them. I'm so glad they're back in style because I never wanted to stop wearing them. I love my chucks, right? Okay. Peg leg jeans. Yeah, we used to peg them. You know, you take the thing, you fold it over, you, you fold it up twice, and then you walk around with your peg, your, your legs pegged. Parachute pants. You guys remember, you don't even know what parachute pants are, right? All right. Listen, at the height of middle school, at the height of middle school, I can remember going to the dances in middle school because we had dances. And our, do you guys have dances now? Do you guys have, okay. Yeah, you do. I remember. So we would go to our dances, and you, it was not uncommon to see two or three guys in line with a giant piece of cardboard. And you're like, what? Yeah. And they'd go to the dance floor, throw down the cardboard, and we'd have breakdancing competitions. We'd do the worm, and we'd do the, you know, the thing and the robot, and we mastered it. And we were there. Whoever could do the moonwalk was insane because that was so new, right? It was like insane. All of that. We did all that, right? With all of that awesome culture that we provided for you guys, which is re-emerging, by the way, uh, came pressure. It came pressure. You had to fit in. You had to look like everyone else. You had to be like everyone else. Everyone wanted, you know, did your parachute pants have like seven zippers or just one down the side? And, you know, were your chucks like custom where you could get them the colors you wanted, like camouflage or hot pink, or were they just the black ones, you know? All of these things... created incredible stress for someone because they're like, oh, should I get these? Should I get these? Should I get that? Should I get this? And all of it was just so that they could be accepted and adored by other people and not rejected. Listen, nothing's changed. We're all the same. It doesn't matter whether you're in 1980 or whether you're in, you know, 2011. The pressures are the same because they all come from one thing that doesn't change and that's the heart of mankind. The heart will never change. It's always the same. And the same trappings that can take people back 2,000 years ago and snare them up for following Jesus can snare us up for following Jesus today. You know, it's incredible when we live for the praise of men rather than for the praise of God because it just steals away all of the incredible blessings that God has when you abandon yourself to him. 
there's something that God gives you when you decide to live for him wholeheartedly. And one of those things, one of the byproducts of living for Jesus wholeheartedly is joy. He gives you joy. He gives you a, a portion of his Holy Spirit that is joyful, that nothing else in this world can give to you. Like you can't find it in winning you know, the, the, the football championship. You can't find it in finally getting that, you know, that person to like you. You, know? you can't get it in getting straight A's on your report card. You can't get it on anything in this earth. It comes straight from God. It's, it's a part of him that dwells within you, and it is joy. The other side, another thing that you get a byproduct of abandoning yourself to the Lord freely is peace. Peace. You know, people strive to find peace in their life all the time. They, tr- they try and do all kinds of things to obtain some sort of peace in their life that, that is going to be lasting and real. And the problem is, is that there's nothing on this earth that is made to give you that peace because it can only be found in one place, and that's in a relationship with Jesus. That's the only place that it's going to be found. But yet the world spins its wheels trying to find peace, doing all kinds of things. Well, if I'm just rich enough or if, I just, am I, if I'm with that certain person or, you know, if, and all of it falls short, you won't get joy. You won't get peace. Those things come straight from Jesus because they're part of who he is. And the world will never be able to match God in any way. And he says here, they love praise from men more than praise from God. You know, we have to guard our hearts, guys, because there's many things that are trying to steal away God's presence in your life and his, his call on your life and your relationship with him. There's many things that are fighting for that in this world. Our culture is one. Praise from men will prove a snare every time. In fact, listen to what Proverbs says. In Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Solomon wrote that. He says, man, fear of man will prove to be a snare. You know, a snare is one of those things that kind of trips you up. You guys ever seen uh, hunters? They'll put snares out and they'll, they'll grab the, the ankle of the prey just to slow it down, to trip it up. And then once it's down, then they can have their way with it. And, you know, fear of man is just enough to slow you down, to trip you up just so it can have its way with you. That the world can get its hands on you. But man, when you strive to please Jesus, somehow you're elevated above those snares and you go right by them. And what happens is you see clearly and you experience clearly. And the longer and the more dedicated you are to the Lord, the more clear it becomes the things of this world that are trying to pull you away. Because the more you spend time in the light, the more easier it is to recognize the darkness. In fact, that's what Jesus says here. Go, go to verse 44. It says, then Jesus cried out. He says, when a man believes with me, he does not believe in me only, but the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he doesn't see, he, he doesn't, when he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. Verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that, any, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus was providing a light, a direction, a way of salvation. He was making it clear. I'm here as a light. Now, earlier on there, right in, in verse 44, he says, when a man believes in me and doesn't believe, doesn't believe in me only, but the one who sent me. Jesus spoke of that many times. Jesus was connecting himself with God the Father at these moments. And this is what would make the Jewish people so mad. Because they're like, you're equating yourself with God. You're calling yourself God. He's like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm calling myself God because I am. Have you ever met someone and you talk to them about the Lord and you, 
maybe share Jesus with them. They're like, I like God and all. I'm not against God, you know. But Jesus, I don't know. I don't know. There's other ways in there. You know, they have this problem with Jesus, but they like God. Listen, you don't get it that way. It's like God and Jesus, they're connected. They're literally one and the same. And so what happens here is that when you say, I want God, and you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God, the one who sent him. They're rejecting that. You got to take Jesus. That's the way that God's provided. And then as you move on a little bit further, it says, as for a person hears my words, in verse 47, he says, uh, but does not keep them. I do not judge him, for I did not come into the world to, I, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. Now listen, a lot of people misunderstand this scripture verse right here. They say, well, Jesus isn't, he isn't going to judge, he isn't going to judge me. He came to save me. Yes, he did. He did come to save you. But both last week and this week, he talks about judging. Jesus' purpose at this moment was not to judge the world. It was to provide a way of salvation to save it. But there will be a judge because if you read on a little bit further in 48, it says, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. Your judgment comes based on your actions, on your confession. It's not that God delights in judging anyone. He wants that all would be saved. But remember, this falls on you to use your free will to make that choice to accept or reject the truth of God. Jesus said, I am the light that is here for the world. He says, if you reject it, you're going to be judged for that. Now, I didn't come to judge. I came to save. But So turn yourself to the saving knowledge. Turn yourself to the light, not the darkness. So really, Jesus cuts through everything here. And I love this because Jesus has this incredible way of cutting through the fat of, of anything. When he's in a conversation, it's a crazy. He goes right to the heart of the matter. Do you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation with the woman at the well. Do you guys remember this story? There's a woman who comes to the well and she comes to get water and Jesus is waiting there and she talks about how uh, her, her forefathers used to worship on this mountain and there'll be a, you know, she, someday she'll be able to worship on this mountain and Jesus talks about how if she, if she drinks his water, she'll never thirst again and, and uh, she talks about how she realizes at that moment that this is the Messiah and, and she goes, let me go tell my husband. He goes, no, no, <laughs> the one you're with isn't your husband. In fact, you've been married five times and she's like, whoops. It's like he cuts through everything and he goes right to the heart of the matter. He sees through it all. And that's exactly what he says here because in verse 49 he says, I didn't speak of my own accord. He says, but the father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. The red letters in your Bible are vital, man. You should be studying them, reading them, memorizing them, understanding them. Do everything you can to recognize the words of Jesus. They're vital. They're vital. Everything that he said, even in the way that he said it, was ordained by the Father. He was that obedient to God the Father. I love that. And so Jesus cuts through it all. He basically gives us two things. He tells us, (laughs) he shows us here that we're not where we need to be. You know, we're in darkness, we need to be in light. We're not there, and that he's the means of a way of us getting there. So this morning, there's two main thrusts that I want to share with you guys. Number one, if you are a believer in here, you need to strive to please God first rather than please men. It's a snare that will trip up your walk with the Lord and and ruin your witness. And once you begin to go down that road of pleasing other people rather than pleasing God first, 
it's a dangerous place because to back up out of it can be a challenge. And you begin to build a life in that. The other one is that if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to implore you to do that today. Remember, at the beginning of our message, he blinded their eyes, he deadened their hearts so that neither could, they could see or understand with their hearts. And I, I just don't want that for anyone in here. If you hear the voice of the Lord today calling you into a relationship with him through Jesus, then go to that. Go for it. And I'm gonna pray with you to do that in just a minute. But first I'm gonna pray for those of us that know him personally. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word and your lesson, Lord. It's just awesome to know that you have a plan for each one of us, Lord, that we were created to glorify you and, and to worship you in, in a relationship with you, Lord. Lord, for those of us that know you in here this morning, I pray that you would help us, Lord, that, Father, that we would not strive and, and, and try to please other people, Lord, but we would set our hearts on pleasing you first and foremost. Father, that means the way that we speak. That means the things that we do, Lord, the way our attitude of our heart, Lord God, with our parents, our teachers, with our friends, Lord that, Lord, we would commit our hearts, our spirits to you. And we would seek you first to please you. And, Lord, if we're weak in this area, I pray that you would, I pray that you would strengthen us, Lord God, that you would encourage us when we make that choice to please you, Lord. You would, you would bless us with your peace, Lord, with your joy. I thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you personally, I pray you'd begin to nudge on their heart right now. And if that's you, and you want to give your life to him this morning, I just want to lead you in a prayer. It's very simple. It starts with what you believe. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for you to take away your sins. You can pray with me right now. Father, I know that I am a sinner. I'm separated from you because of my sin. And I ask that you would just wash over me and cleanse me. Lord, I recognize your work on the cross is the route to salvation, and so I believe you. I ask that you would give me your Holy Spirit to live inside me, Lord, and that I would be new, a new creation. Bless me. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.